0: So please turn with me this morning to John chapter 20. We have this week and two more in the book of John. And really this week is kind of the climax of the story, as it were. This is where we see our Lord Jesus resurrected. And so I think it's important for us to understand what's going on in this passage and what's going on with the disciples and the, the, the women there at the tomb is they are understanding this and seeing this as well. And so as we look at this text, that's what we'll be looking at. But before we look at it, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help with it. Lord Jesus, as we come to this text, we are admittedly at times uh, struggling to see it. In a different way, we know of your resurrection. We know the power of your resurrection. And so, Lord, show us that we really don't get it, that it is inexhaustible, that it is something that we can never completely figure out, that we still will always cling to the hope of the gospel. Even when we are with you, we will always have the hope that you have given us. And so, Father, help us to see this story anew. Help us to understand where we fail you so that we might go and sin no more. Open your word to us that we might understand, that we might be wise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. read an article recently uh, from Psychology Today, which isn't always the, the best place, but it was an interesting read nonetheless. And it was about this idea of how we sometimes see things that we want to see, or we don't see things that we should see because we're looking for something else. Basically, how we can trick our eyes into seeing certain things or not seeing certain things because of what our mind expects. And it was interesting because they gave a group of radiologists the same x ray. You know, radiologists, they're trained to. To look for certain things on an x-ray, highly skilled, lots of experience, this particular group was. And they gave them an x-ray of a lung. And they said, take this lung and find the cancerous node on this lung, this little cancerous spot. Well, every single one of the um, radiologists were able to do that. And this cancerous node was like the size of a centimeter, like just really small little cancerous node on the x-ray. However, they missed the fact that the researchers had placed a picture of a gorilla on the x-ray. That was like 10 times the size of the cancerous nodule. Why didn't they see the gorilla? Well, you typically don't look to find a gorilla on the picture of a human lung. And these people are so trained and skilled at looking for a particular thing that they didn't notice the thing that was right there in front of them. And I think we all understand that, right? We all have done something like that. We missed the thing that is right there in, the, in front of us for the thing that we're really seeking out. It's like a daily exercise for me when I'm looking for my keys. All right. Well, in today's text, we're going to see Mary Magdalene at the tomb of Jesus, and she's going to discover that he's gone because he's risen. But Jesus is there, right there in the flesh, right there in front of her even, and she thinks he's the gardener. Why? Because she went to the tomb thinking Jesus was dead. He's not dead. He's risen. However, just like Mary, we sometimes still have this problem, I think, seeing Jesus, whether it's in the pages of Scripture, in our day-to-day lives. And so as we look at this text, I want to look at three main ideas from it, that Jesus, his resurrection brings us hope, Jesus' voice brings us sight, and Jesus' presence gives us direction. And so, with that, let's look at the text together, standing as we read. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. "...following him, and went into the tomb. He saw linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes." But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So just a few things before we get into the text, um, concerning a few issues in this text that I'm not going to address and want to just get on the front end. I'm not exactly sure why Jesus told Mary not to cling to him, and I'm not sure how Jesus got into the room where the disciples had the door locked. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of ink spilled over these questions. The meaning of this text, I think, comes to us without, with, without a full understanding of what's going on here, and so I've just kind of planned to gloss over it, and maybe we can even talk about it after the sermon, which I would encourage. There are lots of interpretations concerning what's going on here, but again, I don't think it does uh, much good in the sermon to address them, so I'm not going to, so we can again talk about them later, but they're... Again, a lot of things have been said about why Jesus said, don't touch me, and how he entered this locked room, but not very important for the meaning of this text. And so with that, let's look at the first uh, point, Jesus' resurrection brings us hope. And so remember, Jesus was killed on Friday, the first day, and on Sunday, the third day, the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. And here we find Mary Magdalene and some others. They went to the tomb to perform the normal burial preparations. They didn't go earlier because it was the Sabbath. They didn't want to go the next or on Saturday because that's their Sabbath and they didn't want to work and and we know that there are others with Mary uh, because of other gospel accounts there were other women with her. And so she came to the tomb. She saw the tomb and she realized it was empty. She realized this, this, is, this wasn't right, all right? It was supposed to be guarded. It was supposed to be closed. But it was unguarded, and it was open. So what did she do? She immediately went and found Peter and probably John, this other disciple that's mentioned. We're, we're not told that it's John explicitly, but usually John mentions himself this way, so we, we believe this is John. And she comes to them and says, they've taken our Lord. And can you imagine the emotion that's going on here? Not only with Mary and these other women, but also Peter and John as they hear this. They're afraid, they're angry, they're heartbroken. Lots of emotions going on. They had just seen their Lord killed, had hung on the cross, and now someone has stole his body. And so I love the response of Peter and John. Peter always the impetuous one again, he runs to the tomb. He and John run to the tomb. And John is apparently a faster runner, and so he gets there a little bit faster. I'm always fascinated with the things that the Gospel writers choose to tell us. Um, so John gets there. He he doesn't go in, but Peter gets there, looks in, sees the death, clo- death clothes of Jesus. Even one of the... Pieces that covered his face folded neatly in a separate pile, and he realizes that something's happened. And John walks in and sees the same thing. And I love what we read next concerning what John saw. He saw and believed, there in verse 8. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. <laughs> When John walked in, what did he see? He saw that Jesus wasn't there, and he remembered. And I would like to think that he remembered not only everything that Jesus had taught him, but he also remembered the fact of everything that he had read when he was a boy about Moses and the prophets and all of them and all of Jesus' teaching up until now, realizing that Jesus was indeed the real deal. That all the scriptures talked about Jesus. Verse 9. For they as yet did not understand that the, from the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But now he sees and believes. This makes me think of Romans chapter 10. So please turn there with me quickly. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. And consider what we've just read concerning John and Peter walking in the tomb and seeing that Jesus wasn't there and seeing and believing. Romans ten five, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Guess who he quotes here? He quotes Moses. He quotes Joel, among others. Why would he do so? So that we might see, so that the church might see, that the message of salvation is a thread that is woven throughout the Scriptures. And it hinges upon this moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. It is this that we must believe in order to be saved. Because without this resurrection, what do we have? We have a dead Savior who can't really save anybody. But with the resurrection, we have hope. We are like Mary a lot of times, right? We run away from the tomb, afraid and uncertain. When we see the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive, we think, well, maybe something's wrong. But, in fact, we have life in him instead because of his resurrection. John and Peter hadn't understood yet from the scriptures again. But seeing the empty tomb, it brought everything to focus now. They all, all of a sudden, everything that Jesus had been teaching them had come to, to realization they get it now. They, came, they went into this tomb. They see that he's not there. He is risen from the dead. Imagine being there with them, walking into that tomb. I'd love to think that we would know, that we would be like John or like Peter. Lord willing, we might have been. But I think many times I know for, for a fact with myself that I'm like Mary. Mary also knew the teachings of Jesus, Right? Of course she did. She knew that he said that he would rise from the dead. But the circumstances surrounding her were causing her to be afraid. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be afraid? What was going to happen to the followers of Jesus? They were probably going to hunt them down. Where were the disciples? They were hiding in a room locked with a locked door. She had just lost her Lord, and she had prepared her heart that morning even to place spices and perfumes on his decaying body, but instead she found an empty tomb. Do we ever despair because we think that the risen Lord really isn't our hope? Do we fear the wrong things? I know I do. I fear things like my health and my future. I fear things my kids' safety, their future's. The souls of my lost family and my lost friends. With all of that fear, how can we be placing any hope in our risen Lord when we fear things that are passing? John and Peter were still coming around to this. They would spend the rest of their life getting the truth of the gospel, of the resurrection, of the hope of the gospel message. However, here... They give us this perfect picture of faith in Jesus and hope in the resurrection. And that brings us to the next point, that Jesus' voice brings sight. And so Mary must have went back to the tomb with them. As they said, or as they left, she went, she, uh, that says they went home, but she stayed there. She stuck around. And what does it say there at verse 11? She stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. She decided to look in. She saw something much different than an empty tomb. She saw some angels sitting there that appeared, that appeared as men. That's what we hear from uh, the other gospel writers. They looked like men, which is interesting. Uh, most of the time we see angels in the New Testament, the first thing out of their mouth is don't be afraid. But in this case, they actually talk to Mary, and Mary doesn't seem to be afraid. It's interesting, too, that when she saw these two men, she assumed that someone else took Jesus away. She didn't blame them at all. They were sitting there right next to where Jesus would have been, and she didn't blame them. She just They said, woman, why are you weeping? And they've taken away my Lord. They have. I do not, where they, I do not know where they have laid him. And after this short conversation with the angels, she turns around and she sees another man. Who asked the same question. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now she does assume the gardener did it. She said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. It's kind of funny. She does assume that this gardener, who is actually Jesus, took the body. But, Mary, or, but he didn't. That was Jesus. Mary doesn't know that. But when does Mary finally see it? Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said to him, Rabboni. Mary Magdalene isn't mentioned much before the crucifixion, resurrection narratives of the Gospels except in Luke. And we're told in Luke chapter 8 that she traveled with Jesus and the disciples with these other women. And she had seven demons Passed out of her. Pretty interesting. She was the very picture of a distraught and hopeless individual until Jesus found her. I mean, imagine some of the other demonic possessions and and exorcisms that we see there in Scripture. What's going on? We have a man who has demons in him and he throws himself in the fire and, and all this other crazy stuff. And here's Mary Magdalene. She's got seven demons in her. And Jesus cast them out, and she's with him throughout the ministry. Obviously, a distraught, hopeless individual until she finds Jesus. And so when I read Luke 8, again, in conjunction with this passage, it brought me to this psalm that we read together today, Psalm 147. So look at that in your bulletin. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. A song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. And He gives all of them their name. The Lord lifts up the humble. This is perfect, isn't it? But I was really struck with this idea that He has numbered and named every single one of the stars. They all have a name. All trillion times one trillion of stars. They all have a name. And the Lord who gave every single one of those stars a name also named His child Mary. And He called to her Mary. And she knew His voice. Remember John 10. What what did Jesus say? My sheep know My voice. They hear it. And they follow Me. And I give them eternal life. When Mary hears His voice, she knows who speaks to her. And then she runs back to the disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. In other words, He is risen. And so again, consider our fears in light of this. The fact that we sometimes don't see the Lord. Even though He said, I will always be with you. And we instead search around for other things. I think many times we find the answer in ourselves. More, than, more times than not, you've heard me say this a lot. I recently saw a, uh, a sermon... From a pastor's name's Matt Chandler, you've probably heard of him. And it kind of highlighted this idea how even our interpretation of Scripture will place us as the hero of the story rather than seeing Jesus as the hero because we really don't want to place our hope in our resurrected Lord. We want to place it in ourselves. And Matt Chandler, in his sermon, he said to his congregation, He said, I love you, but you are not. David is what he said to them. And what did he mean by that? I think many times when we read scripture, we like to put ourselves as the hero, right? We read David and Goliath, and we are David versus Goliath, the stories about us. Or when Moses is leading the Israelites out, we are Moses, and the stories about us. Or We are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story is about us again. Or we are told to dare to be Daniel, and the story is about us again. Why? Because if the story is about us, then we should hope in ourselves. However, the story is about Jesus. Jesus is the better David. He is the better Moses. Jesus saved those boys in the fire, not their bravery. Jesus saved Daniel, not his singular devotion. If Jesus is the subject, then who are we? We're the ones that need to be saved. We're the scared little Israelites on the side of the battle, afraid of Goliath. We are the idolatrous Israelites who begged Moses to go back to Egypt. We are in desperate need of a Savior. And I think when we see the truth of Scripture... Jesus is the Savior. We are needy. We are in need of help. And He is our only hope. And it is His resurrection from the dead that purchased for us redemption, that gives us hope for today and tomorrow. Turn with me to Psalm 147. I want to read the second part of that psalm. I think it fits very well with what we're talking about today. We read part of it in our call to worship this morning. But it highlights this idea that the story is not about us, that we miss Jesus. Verse 7 of Psalm 147, "...Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds, He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow on the hills." he gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry his delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man what does he what does he want does he want our strength does he want our heroic deeds no the lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in His steadfast love. Again, the story is not about us. The Lord doesn't delight Himself in the fearless, but in the one who fears Him. So how can we be helped in this? We listen for Him to call us by name. And not some sort of special revelation or anything kooky like that. I'm not going there. But we hear Him call us by name when we hear the Gospel preached. We hear Him call us by name when we read the truth of Scripture that Jesus came to save sinners and I am the foremost. That's when we hear our name. We deserved hell, yet we get heaven because Jesus died to save His people. He was resurrected and now sits at the Father's right hand. And for whatever reason, I'm one of His people. Praise be the Lord. Even when we sometimes wouldn't recognize Jesus just like Mary, He's going to love us anyway. And we have His love because of what He did. Now we fear Him. Now we hope in His steadfast love. So lastly, Jesus' presence gives us direction. That evening, the disciples were in a room. They were locked up in order to hide from the Jews. Again, somehow Jesus comes in and stands among them, and he says, peace be with you. A common greeting there for Jewish people to greet one another, but now it has much more fullness in the fact that the resurrected Christ stands there among them. He shows them his wounds, his side, his hands, his feet, still there, though he's in his resurrected body. They are glad to see him, and, they, and then he spoke to them. Again, he starts out with, Peace be with you. And then he directly gives them instructions. He cuts right to the important part, knowing that his time among them is short. His time is very short. And the time of their mission, the time of their mission is near. He says, Just as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. Jesus was sent to preach a message. And what was that message? Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now he is sending the disciples with the same message. And remember what he said to them. When he went, what was he going to do? He was going to leave for them a counselor, a helper. And so next, he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I think this symbolizes the Spirit's future indwelling and involvement in their ministry. Again, this is another one of those debated texts. I think that we have here a foreshadowing of what's going to take place in Acts chapter 2. More importantly, is the message that He gives them next. He says to them, Receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so, what are we saying here? And I think this speaks of the idea that the church is given the authority to do what? To preach the gospel, to proclaim forgiveness of the believer, and to say with authority to a believer, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You are free. What greater joy for there is for a pastor, or for anyone for that matter, to say to another believer, someone who struggles with sin, which guess what, that's all of us, maybe sometimes who doesn't see the gospel or see the power of the resurrection, or like Mary, the hope that we have, what greater joy is it to say to them, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. You are not condemned. Your sins are forgiven. You have no guilt and shame. What an extraordinary thing that we have been given as a church to pronounce that over other believers. And on the, same, on the other side of the coin, I should say, we have equal authority to say to the unbeliever, you will die in your sins. And your sins have purchased hell for you. Your sins deserve the judgment of a good and just God. Your own works are filthy rags. You have no way to save yourself from a God that will punish you forever. And we have to say that as well. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ. Your sins deserve the wrath of a jealous God. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon Jesus Christ and be saved. If you believe that He is Lord, if you believe that He was risen from the dead, you can have eternal life. Believe in Him today. It's a sad message for us to proclaim to the unbeliever that you deserve hell, that the lost will die eternally without a Savior. But why do we say it? How will they know? Without a preacher? How are they here without someone to tell them? And so in conclusion, we see Jesus, even though we struggle sometimes, but ultimately as believers, we know Jesus because of His work in our lives, because of the truth that we read in the Scriptures, because of our testimony to one another. We know that Jesus is... Real, we know that he is right because of his word to us. Someone preached the gospel to us. Think about that for a minute. Someone preached to us. Someone was faithful in that task to us, which is why we know, which is why we love and see our Lord today. Now, what do we do? Paul tells us the world is without excuse. They know there is a God, even though they don't see Him. They can't, as a matter of fact. They can't know Him. They don't even seek after Him. But He also tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So how will they hear without a preacher? And that's us. I know I end a lot here. The world is dying. And we have the only message of hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And the Bible shouts that message to us from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. The story is about Him. So let us go and show it to the world that they might see and be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us in this task. We struggle in our own sins and our own doubt and sometimes... We can't see you even though you stand here before us. You are here among your people even now. You are shouting out at us from the pages of Scripture. But yet we struggle nonetheless. But even in our struggles, Lord, help us to be about your mission. You have sent us even as the Father has sent you. And so, Lord, may we... Give that message to the world. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, help us to be diligent in that task, to be ministers of your truth, of your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.